Welcome to Code Reg, a podcast dedicated to regulatory remediation programs. This season is all about GDPR and TREMS 2, and we're picking up where we left off from episode 4. Today we're going to discuss the importance and benefits of thoroughly planning your TREMS 2 contract remediation approach, even this late into 2022, as well as the key elements of a successful plan and how that plan can be developed. And today we have a very special guest, Barry McDonald, who is an executive consultant with Factor. As an important reminder, the contents of this podcast are based on our experience handling large-scale remediation projects for our global client base and does not constitute legal advice. Factor is an integrated law company providing complex legal work at scale. We are not a law firm and do not provide legal advice. All right, David, last time we discussed a couple client examples of both successful and unsuccessful planning approaches. Can you refresh our listeners on what we discussed last time? Sure. Uh, thanks, Koki. And uh, I also want to thank um, our colleague, Barry McDonald, for joining us today. Barry's a member of our solutions consulting team and uh, will have some excellent insight to provide uh, on planning and what a successful plan entails. And um, when it doesn't go right, some of the things you can do when you, you need to change, change that plan and readjust it. In the last podcast, we had discussed the experiences confronted by two of Factor's clients in running large-scale GPR SHREMS remediation uh, projects. One client that had advanced planning through a pre-remediation consulting arrangement with Factor, and the other client that commenced remediation basically running right in with very little planning and documentation of that plan. In this episode, we will delve more deeply into the planning that is necessary to run a large-scale remediation project, whether it's driven by regulatory change or internal corporate requirements. We will also address the benefits of good planning and the components of that planning. Uh, As I said at the top, uh, Barry McDonald has joined us, and my first question really to get the the discussion rolling here is to ask Barry, what do you consider to be important, uh, why is it important, I should say, to develop a good plan? Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, the importance of laying groundwork and kind of defining what the relevant legal and regulatory and other corporate requirements are absolutely critical when you're doing a large-scale remediation like those related to GDPR and SHREMS. First of all, it's very important that the client and relevant stakeholders within the client understand the problem that they're trying to solve for. And it kind of goes back to the old adage that a problem well-defined is a problem half solved. But just as importantly as defining the problem, it ensures that relevant uh, individuals within the organization, whether they be on the business side, the legal side, compliance, what have you, are all aligned on what they are seeking to achieve. Moreover, you know, what we've seen is across all industries, not just related to those potentially impacted by GDPR or SHREMS, but in all cases where there's regulatory or legal conformance requirements, if you have a plan in place, if you have identified the issue and are taking good faith actions to ensure conformance or compliance with the rules, uh, that goes a long way in building trust and a relationship with the relevant regulators. Now, it may not avoid a potential sanction or fines, but it may go a long way in reducing the likelihood of that action. In other words, showing that you know what the requirements are and that you're taking steps to comply with them, uh, I think is critically important uh, across industries. You know, taking the time to really understand what you're trying to achieve from a corporate perspective and where the end state is, 
it, it not only focuses on people with the kind of tactical task at hand, but it ensures alignment within the organization. It kind of creates a mechanism for having people inside the organization understand not only what the requirements are, but why it is important to meet them and potentially what the repercussions are if they're not met on time. If you just kind of rush in and start doing tactical work, perhaps there are gonna be individuals who are unaware of the requirements, people who might have um, views or suggestions on how they could be met that will not be taken into consideration. And in the long run, this can kind of not only slow the process and lead to duplication of efforts, but kind of create a jumbled approach to solving for a particular problem. Thanks, thanks, Barry. And just to emphasize the point about planning, um, you know, I, 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 from my perspective, I think the planning process is one that never ends, right? Even you, know, you, you, you do a, a fair amount of advanced planning, you come up with a project plan, well-documented, process flows and the like, but things change throughout a project, right? There are unforeseen circumstances that you just can't plan for. So the planning process is, is constant, forever changing to address changing circumstances. And then, of course, even with a, you know, a well-launched plan, um, there may be unforeseen delays that you know, cause you to reassess your risks along the way and essentially change your plan to address those risks. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I mean, that's in almost every uh, remediation that one can work on. You know, I've, I've done this uh, supporting clients across industries from financial services to life sciences. And in almost every case where there is a large regulatory conformance activity, things are going to change. New information will come to light. Um, there'll be kind of uh, aspects of the requirement uh, that come in later the game. That's why, irrespective of the plan you put in place, it's almost certainly going to change as you're progressing to it. Now, that doesn't mean that that initial planning is unimportant. It's critically important because what it allows you to do is to keep your eye on what you're trying to achieve ultimately. And as you're dealing with these issues as they emerge, it allows you to focus on them in sort of an agile or taking a scrum approach to kind of resolving those and moving forward, trying to get back on the plan of meeting the relevant legal, regulatory, or corporate requirements that have been already determined. But you're absolutely right. Things change from can change from day to day, from week to week. It's about being able to respond to those changes in a timely manner. And again, when you build that initial foundation, when you've kind of articulated what the requirements are, when you've socialized that internally, when you've built relationships, not only in the business, but in the corporate functional teams like legal and compliance, when you're all in this together and understanding why it is important to achieve that required uh, goal, it really makes things a lot easier to get people's attention, to get people's input, and to deal with these issues as they emerge along the course of the remediation. And, and another thing I'll mention there is, you know, it's critically important when you're working with a client to keep information flowing, to be as transparent as possible in order to ensure that everyone is on the same page with where you are, what the next step is going to be, if there are these emerging issues, so that in real time, people are really working together collectively. Um, it's typically not that, you know, uh, we come in and then we kind of are in a parallel track, kind of disengaged from our client organization. You know, to Koki's point earlier, we are really integrated with 
the people that we're supporting. And it's kind of an ongoing collaboration to get to the desired end state. That's really helpful, Barry. It, it sounds like one of the key benefits of thorough planning on the front end really is around socialization and uh, just getting all of the key stakeholders within the client organization on board, uh, you know, rowing in the same direction to use a, an overused cliche, uh, and, and really focused on uh, why this matters, why it's a priority, and uh, you know what each individual stakeholder in the organization can do to help uh, progress, you know, towards the the important goal here. That's absolutely right. That can't be overstated. I mean, building strong relationships with people. And when you're working with them in, in, in trying to kind of develop a plan to get from point A to point B, and you bring all of the experience of having done this many times, uh, not only with respect to the case at hand here, GDPR and SHREMS, but in other large scales remediations, it builds trust. And working with the client, you know, that ongoing trust about, look, we're in it together to ensure that um, the client is meeting their respective uh, requirements is, is critically important. And again, it's not just with the, the key stakeholders, the leaders, it's with the people that you're working with tactically every day. It's about ensuring that you know uh, mm-hmm. things are not opaque and fully transparent. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes on these remediation processes, uh, there are many audiences within our client. There are the executive level who are kind of focused on the high level uh, attainment of the regulatory requirements. There's typically right. an intermediate level uh, that's kind of focused on kind of where we are overall in the project and then the day-to-day people. And it's building relationships with each of those groups is is critically important. Barry, um, in terms of projects that are in many of our projects for our clients are very much regulatory and heavily regulatory driven um, types of projects uh, and given factors service model and from the consulting perspective as well as managed services, you know, where a client comes to us with a, a, a problem, um, Many of our clients do come to us, very sophisticated institutions, come to us with a pretty well-defined problem by involvement of their legal and compliance, both internal and external legal and compliance folks. When a client brings that project to us, sometimes we recognize that the client may not fully understand the implications of the regulation to um, the problem that we've then helped them to define a solution for. How do you confront that with with a client? Yeah, David, that's that's a great question. You know, as you mentioned, many of our clients are very sophisticated. They have large in-house counsels. They have external law firms. But, you know, we've done a lot of these remediations. And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot in terms of various clients and various regulatory regimes. And there are situations where, you know, we might have a different approach or, you know, there may be things that we think could be enhanced from a client perspective in terms of their underlying legal analysis, uh, uh, you know, of the requirements at hand. So in those cases, we will bring those issues to our client's attention. We'll, we'll note where we think there might be areas they might want to reconsider in terms of uh, the path towards conformance or compliance, uh, getting their in-house counsel and in, in certain cases, their external counsel involved to kind of opine and to ensure that we're all on the same page. Again, to Koki's point, we're not providing legal services. We're not acting as a law firm, but we have a lot of experience that we can bring to bear in terms of you know defining what the legal and regulatory requirement is and ensuring that, that we're all aligned in that at the end of the day, Uh, we're meeting the client's requirements with regard to that legal and regulatory compliance and conformance. I think we've touched upon um, some of this already 
in this discussion, but I'm going to ask you the question anyways, Barry, and I, um, I open it up to, to Koki's thoughts as well as, you know, for you, what are the key elements of a successful plan and how can that be developed? I think there are a couple of key elements. Again, again, foundationally understanding and making sure there's full alignment on what the legal, regulatory, or corporate requirements are. And again, defining what those requirements are and what the problem is that you're trying to achieve. I think a second um, key component is ensuring that you have the right people at the table going back to the right stakeholders, the people that are impacted, the people that you're going to need input on, and kind of building that trust and starting to generate those relationships for this kind of ongoing work uh, in order for success. So taking those stakeholders, some of whom may be skeptical and turning them into, if you will, uh, champions and advocates for the project. A third component is prioritization. You know, oftentimes clients may come to us when the deadline is kind of uh, impending and when you know there's there's not time to do everything that may be required so being able to prioritize looking at things from a risk perspective and saying hey how should we phase this uh, again i think that's critically important so that if a regulator were to come in and look you could have a narrative where you know, we are focusing on the uh, most impactful items first, and this is our methodology, this is how we determine prioritization, and this is our good faith effort to kind of facilitate material compliance in the time that we have. So I think that those kind of three areas are critical for the success of any remediation. Again, defining the problem, identifying the right stakeholders and building relationships, and then prioritizing and scoping the work. Those are all excellent points. Thank you, Barry. Uh, Koki, I, I don't know if you have further thoughts on this topic and perhaps some more concrete kind of examples, kind of the nuts and bolts of planning and, and what goes into a good plan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I fully agree with Barry in terms of the the people and stakeholder management and, and setting expectations. In terms of the more tactical nuts and bolts, uh, something we're seeing so often is the importance of planning around where documents are stored, how to access those systems or even physical documents, and understanding the owners of those documents. For a remediation uh, like the Shrems remediation here, you know, understanding who is a data importer, who is a data exporter, what sort of data agreements are already in place, where data is coming from and going to, those detailed points are just so critical for this type of remediation. And that's not the kind of thing that typically business owners or, or folks within an organization are paying attention to, right? You can't necessarily just reach out to uh, a business team in a large organization and, and ask them those kind of questions. It's all documented and stored somewhere, getting organized around how to gather and review and understand those documents. Uh, and, and putting them into broader context is is just so critical. Yeah, f fully agree. And I think from a project planning perspective, also kind of some of the nuts and bolts of that, it's probably pretty obvious to many, many folks listening to this podcast, you know, clear, crisp do documentation that identifies the problem that the firm is seeking to solve for, um, identifies all the internal stakeholders, as Barry had touched upon, who are needed um, to be involved in the project to address the problem uh, all policies and procedures that are relevant to the problem at hand, including any process flows, all of those items, all of those artifacts should be collected and, and um, should serve as part of the kind of the source material for the, the project plan. 
Uh, and then a well-defined roadmap that describes and defines roles and responsibilities. If you're involving a consultant, um, you need to define roles and responsibilities as, as between the firm and the consultant, but also internally within the firm, uh, the various constituencies that will be needed to, in order to uh, address the remediation project at hand. And then simple things like which are not so simple in some firms, but defining escalation contacts within your organization so that uh, when decisions need to be made, you can make those decisions relatively quickly without delays and just finding telephone numbers, email addresses, and the responsible person. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly right, David. I, I mean, in terms of those definitions, uh, equally as important, uh, just thinking back on on the data point uh, around defining a process for reviewing large sets of documents, it's, it's tempting to say, okay, we've identified the documents, we have a list somewhere of 1,000, 10,000 documents that need to be reviewed, uh, but, but, but there really needs to be a thoughtful process around how to prioritize based on service provider, vendor, counterparty, uh, line of business. That's really where those, those key senior stakeholders on the project need to weigh in uh, and, and help define that process for, for tackling that large set of documents. I would also agree. I think I think the point you made, David, on on having sort of a racy matrix, or you know, um, who's responsible for what, both within the organization and between the organization and the consultant, is critically important, uh, as well as kind of related training. So you know, when you, when you're going into you know review materials against the criteria for uh, conformance and compliance, you know, taking the time at the beginning of the project to ensure that people are aligned on what they're looking for and and kind of their approach to assessing materials and to your point, David, of then escalating issues as they arrive to the right people are, are critically important. And that goes to the aspect of, again, Koki, to your point, the more tactical kind of project planning and implementation. But uh, I think that those are, are critically important on the tactical level, um, you know, RACI and, and related training. Great. Thanks so much, David and Barry. I think we'll call that a wrap for today. Next time, we'll discuss the state of GDPR-related enforcement trends and data protection supervisory authorities. As the December 27th deadline approaches, where is enforcement likely to be focused? Thank you for listening to this episode of Code Reg. You can find this podcast and more at our website at www.factor.law. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate if you take a moment to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.